we've been preaching a series called The Road to Calvary. We've been looking at the places, the geography and the history around the Easter story. And so this morning what I'm going to do, uh, because I ended up writing a bit of a different message than I originally planned, I'm going to share with you for about five minutes some of the geography around the resurrection and the history, and then I'm going to preach the message that I've actually come to preach. So let me give you a sense of the, uh, the, the, the place, the place of the, the crucifixion and, uh, and where the tomb was, because uh, having been to Israel last year and having the privilege to do that, uh, there was a few things that were really fascinating and interesting from that that I can share with you this morning. First is that, uh, as we know, Jesus died on a Friday afternoon. The reason that he was crucified uh, and um, that he was, uh, he, he passed away at three o'clock on the, on the Friday, but you'll know from the story that uh, uh, typically they left people on the cross for a lot longer. Uh, they would leave them there for days even to slowly, to slowly uh, suffer a torturous death. But um, they came and they, they went to place the spear in Jesus' side to kill him at three o'clock in the afternoon. They did that to the, to the men either side of him, but Jesus had already died because of the extreme agony that he had been through, um, uh, bearing our sin. But the reason they did that was because it was a Friday afternoon, it was leading into the Sabbath. So we understand often we refer to the Sabbath sometimes as a Sunday. The Jewish Sabbath was a Saturday. But in fact, to make it more confusing, the Jewish Saturday started when the sun went down on Friday night. So Jesus needed to be taken and the others off the cross before the sun went down and the Sabbath started because once the Sabbath started, no work could be done. So Jesus was taken down and he was placed in a tomb. And this is a, an actual first century tomb. This is in Nazareth, not in uh, Jerusalem. But this is what a tomb would have looked like. The opening of this one is much larger than it would have been. But uh, the tomb was cut into a cliff and a, a rolling stone was placed in front of it. A stone that could be then moved back. Uh, when the women came to the tomb the next day, they would have asked a heavy stone, someone to move it back so they could enter. And um, on the Sunday morning, they, they came prepared to anoint Jesus' body um, in preparation for a proper burial. Uh, but Jesus was crucified at a place called Golgotha. Sometimes we hear it called Calvary, sometimes Golgotha. But the Aramaic word for Golgotha was Calvaria, which is where we get Calvary. And the crucifixion, crucifixion took place outside the city walls, but only just about 100 metres outside the city walls as they stood in Jesus' day. One of the things that fascinated me is, I don't know in your mind how far you think or where the tomb was in location or in comparison to the place of Jesus' crucifixion. The fascinating thing when you go to Israel today is you discover that they're extremely close together. In fact, the distance between the location of the cross of, of the, uh, Golgotha and the tomb is about between 30 and 40 metres. So today they're actually located in the same building. And uh, they found what they believed to be the site when uh, Helena, the wife of um, Constantine, the emperor uh, of the Roman Empire, when uh, the Roman Empire became Christian, she travelled to Israel to locate the sites. And so from very soon or immediately after Jesus was raised, um, the site of Jesus' death and resurrection began to be venerated. And then they built uh, a temple over that to try to stop that happening. And that helped them understand when she went back in the 300s where it was located. Now you can kind of, if you can make this out, you can see 
that the, um, there's sort of an orangey colour, I'm actually colourblind, so I, I think it's an orangey colour, where, where the cave would have been, where the tomb would have sat, okay? Um, so there's the, the rock of, of Calvary, and then to the left, or to the, uh, yeah, on the left-hand side here is where the cave would have been. And when they built this huge church known as the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, sepulchre being a cave cut into rock, they actually removed a huge section of rock and then they built over it this kind of building. And so not actually too much of the original cave tomb remains, just the area where Jesus' body was laid. This here is uh, an area called the, this is uh, Golgotha, the section of the church built above that. And you can line up for about an hour and a half as we did and get jostled for an hour and a half till you finally have the opportunity to walk and you kneel down under an altar and you reach down. And I don't know if you can see the guy there, he's just getting up. He's reached down and he's touched the rock of Calvary. And if it sounds a very sacred moment, sadly it's not because it's noisy and it's crowded and what have you. But on the other side of the church is this structure. And that's the structure built over what they believe to be the tomb of Jesus in the same church, about 30 metres away. Um, so that gives you some sense of the geography, and that's about all I want to say about that, because um, finding out what the tomb looked like and where it was located doesn't really change anything. Having given you that information, I can safely say that that doesn't really change your life. But... The resurrection of Jesus should change your life. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. So this title was, sermon was going to be titled The Tomb. I've changed it to the title The Game Changer. So let me read to you, if you've got a Bible, to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read to you from uh, verse 12 to 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says this from verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death.
So this message is the game changer. What is a game changer? Well, you know I'm a sports fan, so I need a sporting analogy here. A game changer is the moment in a game when someone or something gets changed that changes the, the outcome of that game. It's when someone gets put into the midfield from the forward line or someone gets rushed forward and suddenly that change changes everything. And the outcome of the game is changed as someone goes forward and kicks a couple of goals. Or something, some moment of play happens that just changes everything. History has its game-changing moments right through history. June 6, 1944, D-Day, D-Day. World War II is changed when the Allies land on the beaches of, Eastern, of Western France. November 9, 1989, the Berlin Wall comes down. Can you remember that moment? Remember those scenes? They said it would never happen. No one could ever imagine it. But the Berlin Wall gets taken down. The Iron Curtain, impenetrable. People thought it would be there forever. Starts to be torn down. February 11, 1990, Nelson Mandela is released from prison. The apartheid regime that had reigned in South Africa was beginning to come to an end. And all those moments and many more that you could perhaps think of are game-changing moments of history. But there is one game-changing moment that stands head and shoulders above all the rest. The event that shows uh, not only that history changed, but eternity changed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from death to life. Each of the three historical events I mentioned was significant because they marked the liberation of a people from an oppressor. Occupied France was being liberated from the grip of the control of the evil regime that was the Nazi party. The Berlin Wall coming down was the beginning of the end of communism that had controlled the lives of the people of Eastern Europe for decades. And when Mandela was released, it was the beginning of the end of the unjust policy of apartheid that had controlled, particularly, obviously, the African people in South Africa for decades. The resurrection is the moment that marked the end of the greatest oppressor that ever existed, of death itself. It is because of the resurrection the Apostle Paul can write, having reflected on the importance of the resurrection of Jesus, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to say basically two things. Firstly, that the resurrection is the game-changing event of human history. And secondly, therefore, that the resurrection should be, must be, can be, the game-changing event of your life. The resurrection is the game-changing event of human history, and therefore, surely, it should be the game-changing event of our lives. Let me make two points about the resurrection. Firstly, the resurrection proves Jesus' victory and it proves our salvation. 
So in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if we look at this passage, Paul is dealing with an issue he considers absolutely central. The issue he's dealing with is that in the city of Corinth and amongst the church in Corinth, people are actually starting to preach or a group of people are preaching that that Christ was raised from the dead, but somehow they're teaching that, that people aren't raised from the dead. And so he comes in to address this heresy. He says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He's saying, you can't have it both ways. You've either got to say, yep, Christ was raised and through him we will be raised. Or you might as well just say, there's no resurrection at all. But don't say Christ was raised and we're not. It's one or the other. And so he's trying to deal with this, um, this heresy that's there. And then he doubles down, if you like, on his claim. He says in verse 13, he says, If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then he makes this incredible claim. He says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. That really captures what the centrality of the resurrection. If Christ has not been raised, Paul would say to you, you being here is the biggest waste of your time on this, this Sunday morning. If Christ has not been raised, he goes on to say, we are of all people to be the most pitied. We are fools. We've been conned. We have been tricked. What an absolute abject waste of time. The worship team, you got up early on a Sunday morning and came here to prepare. There's people making coffee here at 8.30 this morning on Easter Sunday. All of you who are part of small groups who get together midweek to read this Bible, to talk about the resurrection. All of you have put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus has not been raised... We are of all people the most to be pitied. Do you get that? Luckily, he goes on to say, but Christ has been raised. This is the game changer. It hinges on this moment. If Christ has not been raised, we are what? We are our, my preach, our preaching. My preaching is useless and so is your faith. But Christ has been raised. Max Licardo, in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, tells the story of a missionary in Brazil. He discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a large river. The tribe was in desperate need of medical attention. Uh, a contagious disease was, was ravaging the population. People were dying daily. A hospital was not very far away, it was, but it was across the river. The Indians would not cross the river because they believe the river was inhabited by evil spirits. And to enter its water would mean certain death. The missionary explained how he had crossed the river to reach them and was unharmed. But they were not impressed. Then he took them to the bank and he placed his hand in the water. But still they wouldn't go in. Then he walked into the water, up to his waist, and then he splashed it on his face. They still wouldn't go in. It didn't matter. 
They were still afraid to enter the river. Finally, he dove into the river, immersed himself in that river, swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side of the river. Then he raised a triumphant fist into the air. He had entered the water and escaped. He had not died. It was then that the Indians broke into a cheer and followed him across. He had proved to them. He had proved to them that the river was safe. Isn't this what Jesus did? He entered the river of death and came out the other side so that we might no longer fear death but find eternal life in him. You know, actions speak louder than words. My old church, Unley Park Baptist Church, had this famous story from its history and churches have famous stories that get repeated over and over. But one day, uh, the pastor, uh, not me, but the, the senior pastor there was preaching. It was many years before I was there. And someone was sitting in the very back row and he was explaining this and that and preaching this and that. And someone who was a visitor was there, but it was a skeptic, stood up and shouted at the top of his voice, Prove it! He said, prove it. That's a fair, fair question. Fair demand. What is the proof of our faith? What is the proof of your faith? The proof of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no body. They found no body. Jesus was raised on the third day from death to life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof of our faith. It is the game changer that changed everything. I'm going to talk a little later about how it changed the disciples. But the resurrection is the proof. It proves our salvation. Secondly, the resurrection gives us assurance of eternal life. Paul goes on to say in this passage, he talks about Adam and Jesus, verse 21. He says, For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Then he goes on to talk about this idea of first fruits. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The first fruits, if we, if we know, understand that, was, was an offering that was set aside. It was an offering, it was the first thing that was set aside. He's saying Jesus was like that. He was the first one. And we will follow. You know, growing up uh, as a kid, I used to watch, um, what was the show? It was the cartoons on a Saturday morning with uh, Looney Tunes. Has anyone watched Looney Tunes growing up? Wild E. Coyote, Roadrunner, Tweety Bird, Tom and Jerry? No, that, was that it? Anyway, maybe. Bugs Bunny? Daffy Duck, but it always ended with a different character, Porky Pig. And Porky Pig would finish the show by coming on and he would say, <laughs> he would say, obliet, 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 obliet. that's all folks. <laughs> the resurrection proves to us that Porky Pig was wrong. Porky Pig was wrong. Porky Pig was wrong. That is not all, folks. It's not all. 
There is a life that goes on beyond this life. And we need to tell that story. Do you know why? Because everyone out there in our society today is living as though there's no tomorrow. People are living as though this life is all there is. People are living as if there is no resurrection of the dead to eternal life. Every decision is based on the notion that this life is all there is. He who dies with the most toys wins. People plan for their retirement, but they don't plan for what comes beyond their retirement. People don't seem to consider that. Maybe the most awesome uh, experiences is what it's all about. Tick off the bucket lift. Live for yourself. You've earned it. Make the most of it while you're still alive because that's all we've got. Folks, you've got maybe, if you're lucky, 70, 80, 90 years. If life works out well, maybe you're going to hit 100. For if the dead are not raised to life, as it says in verse 32, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. There is nothing bigger to live for. Just live for yourself, live for your family and live for this life. Surely we who believe that the resurrection has happened have discovered that there is something greater to live for. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. In the Narnia story, The Last Battle, it's one of my favourite quotes. He says this, and as he spoke, let me give some context to this. We probably know this. Aslan in the story is uh, a lion. This is a Jesus figure. Jesus is represented as a lion called Aslan. And this is the last story in the Narnia series, which is a whole allegory for Christianity. And the story of God through eternity. And it says this. And as he spoke, Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. I think I got that. Isn't that incredible? That quote is our story. That quote is our life as believers. The resurrection is the game-changing event of human history. And I just want to say this morning that surely the resurrection of Jesus, therefore, should be, must be, and if you have not believed, can be, the game-changing event of your life. Our world is living like there's no tomorrow. But we have discovered through God's Word and through what it reveals to us about Jesus, through His resurrection, that this life is just the beginning. That there is a context, there is a story, there is something to live for that is bigger than this world and bigger than this life. You see, as I said before, the disciples, after Jesus' death, were in a state of fear, 
a state of grief, a state of defeat. They were aimless. They were sitting in a room grieving. They weren't ready to change the world. But when they discovered that Jesus had been raised from the dead, their lives were changed forever. They became courageous. They became bold and they became so full of joy. That when the day of Pentecost came, Peter, who had denied Jesus, stood up and said, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor would his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The disciples, because of the resurrection, went from a group of people who ran away in fear to a group of people who stood in front of courts and declared that Jesus was the Messiah, that he had died and had been raised. They had a perspective that had been so changed that their thinking was basically this, why would we deny Jesus when we have eternity before us? Why would we risk denying Jesus, deny our Lord and Saviour when we've got an eternity before us? And so they stood before courts, they, they uh, were persecuted to death and would not deny Jesus because they knew that through him, they had received eternal life. Let me encourage you that because of the resurrection, we should have three things. We should have an eternal perspective. We should have an eternal perspective that gets us through the times in this life where it is difficult and, and everything seems hopeless because we have a perspective that is beyond this life. Secondly, we should have a greater purpose where we just want to make a difference for the gospel because we're just not living for ourselves, but we're living for something bigger. And secondly, surely we should have a deep joy that permeates all our life. When we come together, like today's Resurrection Sunday, but really every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for us who believe. When we come together, shouldn't, shouldn't there be a sense of joy in our gathering? I mean... We come together as God's people in freedom to worship the risen Saviour as a people who have been saved by His grace. The first fruits, Jesus, the first fruits, but because of that, knowing that we are going to be raised, we have been raised and we will be raised to eternal life through Him. Shouldn't be there like be something in our eyes, something in our voice, something in our demeanour that says Jesus has been raised? And even when we go through like hard times and I'm not wanting to minimize or ignore what people go through, but I want to point people to what, uh, what have I got here? I just want to keep pointing people to what they are going to. Our lives are not just what we're going through, but our lives are what we're going to. It should change our demeanor. It really should. Absolutely. Life is hard. 
Across this room, I know right now, many people are suffering. Many people are struggling. We don't deny that. We don't minimize that. We don't pretend that's not true. But in that, Christ has been raised. And in him, we have the hope of eternal life. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to be with Jesus for eternity because our sins were dealt with on a cross and because we have been raised with Christ in victory. So we should live this out in our world, no matter what our society says or thinks about Jesus and our faith. If Christ has not been raised, we are more to be pitied than all people. And through our history, through the history of uh, the last 2,000 years, what have we seen? How have we seen Christians get treated through history? Christians have been persecuted for 2,000 years. The period that we have been through where Christians have not been persecuted in the West is an unusual period of history. We've become used to the expectation that we've got absolute freedom and things people are going to go, you're a Christian, that's okay. I don't know if you've noticed, but society is shifting right before our eyes. I've been a pastor for 15 years. Society has shifted from the day that I started preaching the gospel as a pastor to today. Society has gone from saying, I think Christianity is a reasonably good thing. It might not be my thing, but if it's your thing, that's, that's okay. It's a good thing. There are powerful sections of society now that are actively saying Christianity is a bad thing. What you believe is wrong. And uh, we've got to deal with that change in society and the change in reality. And increasingly, it is going to be truly said of us that because of the way society treats us because of our faith, that if Christ has not been raised, we are the most to be pitied. Because we might be mocked. We might be persecuted. Maybe people will lose their careers. We're starting to see that. But if Christ has been raised, then we have every reason to have greater joy and greater peace and greater perspective than our world. So, the resurrection is the game-changing event of human history. Is the resurrection the game-changing event of your life? Is it shaping your life? Are people seeing your joy? Is it changing your perspective on how you live your life. We must not follow the pattern of this world. We must not conform to the pattern of this world. We live for something greater. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them and for us, it was, not only, it, was, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life, all of our lives in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and ever and in which every chapter is better than the one before.
this Resurrection Sunday, may you dwell on the reality that this life is just the first page of eternity. Let us live with that perspective and live with the joy that that gives us for the glory of God. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.